Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Loving God, it's hard for us to believe the words we've just heard in this song, what's true about us in relation to you. What you say, the living God, the creator who knew us before we were ever born, who loves us unconditionally, eternally. That will never change. What's true about who you say we are? God, we say we believe. We believe in our heads. But God, so often we don't believe truly in our hearts in a way that gets lived out in how we actually live our lives. How we live our lives often tells a different story of unbelief as we fall into self-management and self-control that's good in one sense, but then actually gets in the way of us embracing and living in your truth. So God, I pray now that as we consider your invitation, Jesus, your promise, your invitation for us as your people who want to believe more deeply, be more affected by your truth about how you, who you say we are and how you feel about us. I pray, God, that by the time we leave here today, that in a new way, we would maybe be reminded or maybe help to understand in a way we've never understood how this makes all the difference in everything in our lives if we allow you and your truth to truly live in us. So may that be so today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's so good to be here with you. Uh, Yeah, great to be back in Carmel Press. As I look around the room, I I see familiar faces. Uh, Great time with the men yesterday at the men's retreat. About 60 guys turned out. I was especially glad that Luke and a couple of the teenagers were there. I had a good talk with Luke afterwards and just glad for him. I, I, I just said, you know, if the young people can get this, what we're talking about today in relation to the distractions of the world that are constantly coming at us, the sooner we can be grounded in the truth of who God says we are, and how God feels about us, that we live in that and out of that, the the sooner we will experience. And the sooner you guys get this as young people, if you really will listen and pay attention and actually apply what I'm saying, you will save yourself a lot of trouble. Really. I mean that. Because a lot of us are slow learners, right? I'm still learning about this. I'm still seeking to understand this promise of Jesus that we've heard in this reading today and actually believe it and seek with my desires to pursue this more than anything else. And, and what I want to say to you is what you know. You know, I'm a, I'm a part of the history of this church. I grew up in this church from age one. 
I grew up in Carmel Valley, went through the schools in Carmel, went to Carmel High School. I, it was great to see Christopher with his Carmel High School football shirt yesterday, and I played at Carmel High School football and all that. And uh, was here for about 23 years, raised our kids in Pacific Grove, came back. Some of you don't know that. And then I was here. I served as a pastor for about six years, doing all the adult subbleship up until about five years ago. And God called Laura, my wife and I, who's an incredible person. And I have to tell you, greetings from Laura. Uh, she's really angry at me because I gave her what I had a couple weeks ago. You know that bug that's going around? I got it. And what was really funny, actually, was she, she uh, admitted to me, it's part of the lessons we're learning, confession in relation to what's true, confessing to each other, you know, so we can become more the people God wants us to be. She said, Mike, I was actually feeling rather prideful that I wasn't getting the sickness that you had. You weaker specimen, you know. And, uh, and then she said, right when I was actually believing that and thinking that to myself, I got sick, you know. It's like, so that's, she's home recovering. She sends her love and her greetings, so I'm sorry she's not here. So you can be mad at me too, because I'm well, actually, I got it from somebody else, so we just pass on the love. But uh, Laura sends her greetings. But what, I'm, what I was just going to say in relation to this passage, this is really more of an encouragement and an invitation in line with the invitation of Christ for you as people, as individuals, and as a church. Because what I'm sharing with you out of the truth of the mouth of Jesus, the living God, the son of the living God who died for your sin. We're going to celebrate what Christ did, how he completed the work on the cross. He's risen from the dead. We've given him our lives. And so we're seeking to live into the peace, presence, and power of God. And my sermon title today is Living into the Source, our life source. How do we do that? How do we experience the peace and the presence and the power of God? Well, today's passage tells us how. God gifts us with his presence, his peace, and his power. It's, it's a gift from God. It's nothing we can earn. It's nothing we can achieve. We think we can through our church programs. But let me tell you, it just doesn't work. This is the only thing that works, and I'm learning this better and better the longer I live. And since God called us out of here, La La Land, to Los Angeles, and I say that lovingly. I love this area. It's an amazing area. It's beautiful but this is not often reality. I mean, I, I've learned living in Los Angeles what often goes on. Now, you may go, be going through something incredibly difficult and painful, and that's everywhere. And you know why? Because it's within us. No matter what our external circumstances, no matter our wealth or what we own or what we possess or what control we think we have, it's what goes on inside. And that's the invitation for what I'm sharing out of Jesus' word is what's going on deep inside? Are we connected with ourselves and what's true? And are we connected to God? and what's true about us and God. So we can experience them by the power of God and the gift of the Spirit as we're in line and in the flow of the Spirit. We're hearing, we're responding to the Spirit, the gifts of God's peace, presence, and power for us and for this church. And I, I say that because you're in a time of new beginnings, right? You're in a time of new beginnings. This is an exciting time. You've waited for your new pastor, Tim. Pastor Tim and Katie and their family, we had the privilege, I've had the privilege of getting to know Tim a little bit, and Katie, we had their family over for dinner. Turned out they lived two blocks from us in Pasadena. We didn't know that until just before they left. And so we got together and we got to know each other a little bit. And what I'm sharing with you today, I've learned, I've heard this from Tim, this is his heart. 
and it's their heart. And, and God has answered your prayers by bringing a pastor and a family and a, a partnership here. They get this, and they really want to live this, what we're talking about today, and this invitation of Jesus. They want to live this, and they want to invite you into this. And that's all I'm doing. I'm just simply trying to invite you into something that I've learned better in the last five years than I ever have. And so I want us to just look again at this passage, and I want you to remember it. I want us to say it together, to confess it, if you want. It's God's invitation. There's never any have to with God. It's a get to with God, right? It's an invitation. Jesus never imposed himself on anybody. God never does. God just simply says, I'm here for you if you will allow me to give you the gifts I have for you. And this is where the gifts, this is the entry point. This is that entry point for you to experience the presence, power, and peace. All the gifts of God, if you will really take this to heart and live it. Let's say this together. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, there's a, there's a declaration here from Jesus. Jesus, the Son of the living God. The one we're here worshiping today and trying to really listen to and respond to and live for. He says, I'm the vine. I'm the life source. I thought of you before you were ever born. That's Psalm 139. Read it. It's all through the scriptures. It's the truth of God. God is the creator. Science has even begun to prove that. That there's something, there's a great creative source that's behind, a life source that's behind all things in creation. And the more we learn about how things fit together and the mystery of creation, the more we're realizing there is this creative force. It's harder and harder to deny that. But there still is a point of, I have to believe, I have to seek this truth in my own life personally. And so we say, okay, I believe you're the vine. I believe you're the life source. I give you my life, Lord Jesus. I, I trust that you've died for me. I celebrate that today. So we start there. That, that's our deck. We're responding to this declaration of Jesus. I am the vine, the life source. And then he says, you are the branches. In other words, all the life you want flows from me, Jesus says. And so here's the question for today. It was a question I asked the guys yesterday. We spent a whole day on this. We looked at prayer practices, things I've been learning in the last five years that I've been practicing, I've been really helped by. Just age-old, ancient truths that Christians have been using for a long, long time. And oftentimes we, we avoid that or we say that's bad because we see it as Catholic because those things were practiced before the Protestant Reformation even happened. And we Protestants look at anything that we think is Catholic and we say, oh, that's bad. We can't have anything to do with that. I was like that once. And what God is helping me realize that God wants us to be open to the gifts of God as he presents them to us. And we avail ourselves to those so we can do what Jesus is saying. And we say, God, I'm the branch. I'm dependent on you. I want to remain in you. He says, if you remain in me then I can remain in you. So the only work we have to bear much fruit, according to Jesus, is to be well-connected to him. So my question is, are you well-connected to Jesus? Really? Not just in your head. Not just knowing the Bible. How are you living your life? Do you really believe this? 
The book of James tells us very clearly, we only actually believe that which we actually do. Saying the words is nothing. It doesn't change anything. And we, as a Christian, may wonder, why am I still struggling with the same things? It's because we're not actually practicing this. We're not actually saying, God, help me to understand my desperate need for being connected to you, not just to giving you my life, not just to thinking about you occasionally, not praying, you, God, I'm doing my best for you. I'm doing for you as best I can, but pray, God, bless my efforts. No, that's what we do. That's our culture. We're raised in a production-oriented culture. I would call it a shame-based system because we like that song we sang, you say, you say, God, the truth about me. But I realize I don't really believe that. I feel like I'm a failure when I'm honest with myself. I feel like I'm falling short. I fall short of the standards of our culture. I don't look the way the culture says I'm supposed to look. I don't achieve the way the culture says I'm supposed to achieve. I don't go to the schools the world says I'm supposed to go to to say that I'm something worthwhile. I'm not the athlete, whatever. I'm not the businessman. I don't have the house. I don't have the money. I don't have whatever. You see, these are all the lies of the enemy. This is the truth. It's the only truth. God is the life source, and God says, I love you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you ever will do, you can't achieve my love. You can't achieve value because you're already valued. And when I was in high school, late in high school, this changed my life. I came to understand this truth, that God actually loves me. God died for me. God became a man. He doesn't condemn me for in my failings. When I'm not the person I want to be, God wants me to be. I experienced the grace of God through Jesus in high school. It changed my life, set me free. I stopped living for everybody else. I stopped trying to keep up with my peers, stopped trying to be something for others. That was back when I was a high schooler. I've been seeking this my whole life. That's how I ended up becoming a pastor, because I love God. I'm grateful for how God's done things in my life. And so I want to share that with people. But it wasn't until the last five years, really, that when I went away from here and I, went, and I, did, a, I did a whole year program in what's called contemplative prayer. And it's simply this. It's learning to stop Stop the activity, stop the doing, stop the achieving, stop lying to myself about the fact that I'm actually seeking to make it happen myself, even though I pray, God, help me to do your will, and I do that as best I can. The reality, when I'm honest with myself, is that no, this is a lot about me making it happen as a believer in Jesus. And so no wonder I still had things going on deep inside of me that I was not content about it. I was not complete. And so Jesus says this to me over and over. Mike, I'm the vine. You're the branch. I'm the life source. You're an extension of me, whether you believe it or not. And if you're seeking to live a life through your own abilities and your own efforts, you will not experience the life I have for you individually and as a church. And in this time of new beginnings... You're, you're kind of setting a new foundation with your new pastor and their family. And so the thing I would encourage you to do is everything within you, encourage Tim and Katie to live this out. Because they will 
shepherd you well if they are well connected to Jesus. It's not about doing more programs. It's not about fulfilling your expectations. It's about them with the elders hearing, doing this one thing. Abiding, listening, making time and space, stopping and attending to what God is saying, hearing that, agreeing on that, and then only doing that. And if that happens, Jesus' promise will come true in this church, and it will happen in your life if you live this out. If you practice the rhythms, the disciplines, what's called a rule of life, things I've been learning about, these ancient practices, I have to, I have to shape my life so I have time and space to stop daily. It's my daily office. Not to do something for God, not to have my quiet time to check it off my list, to be good enough for God. It's not doing for God. It's being with God as I am. Being with God as I am. And then receiving what God has for me as I abide in Him, I remain in Him. And then whatever He invites me into, that's what I seek to live out. And in that, I'm in the flow of the power of the Spirit. And we experience all the gifts of God. The more we, do, the more we practice this as people and as a church, we will experience the miracles of God. I have experienced them. I promise you. It's true. Um, and so I ask you, are you shaping your life? Are you living in a way that's making time and space for you to connect well with Jesus? Just how your life's going. Your busyness. You know, it's, there was a slide I saw in the flow earlier that it just said, busy week or busy month, right? Coming up at Carmel Press. It's in the church. We're just way too busy. This is, this is the curse of our culture. We're great doers. We're not good at being with the truth of what's in us and then with God so God can meet us there, God can speak to us, and God can lead us into that which our heart longs for. It's simple, but it's really hard to live it out in our culture. And, and when I went to L.A. and I did this year program, it took me about six months to even begin to do this. It takes time. It's not a quick fix. We have to learn to slow down, go at God's pace, so we can get in the rhythm of the movement of the Spirit. It's countercultural to our world. It's countercultural to you because you're taught to be a doer, to make it happen, to achieve. And if, if we're doing instead of first listening and then doing out of hearing and responding to the invitations of God, we are on our own. We're not going to be in the power of the Spirit. So this is my invitation to you as a church. And as I do that, we're going to celebrate what God makes possible in Christ, that this is all true, if we really believe it. And the measure of belief is desire and practice. So again, do you really believe this? Do we really believe this based on how we're living? Are there adjustments needed? And the thing I want to say about that, there's no judgment. With God, no judgment. That's another thing God's been teaching me these last five years. It's just simply self-awareness. What's true? As I sit in the safety of God's unconditional love, what's true? What's true in my life? What's true in my soul? Let it come out and then let God speak to us and then lead us to better places. Stop, rest, listen, respond. These are the ancient practices we have to practice to make time and space to abide, 
to remain in him so we can bear much fruit. So I've asked a good friend of mine, Scott Hume, to come and tell us his story as a conclusion of my message, as a living example of what this invitation from Jesus is that I'm simply sharing with you out of my own journey, my own testimony. But I want Scott to also share about his story in relation to this as well. Thank you, Mike. I actually am not going to share with you, and I'm not going to give a speech to you. I am going to confess to you. And this has been a really hard emotional weekend, and I don't know who planned this music, but you are killing me emotionally. You put the I Am a Redeemer in the first service, an amazing grace, and that was a Lauren Daigle song, right? That one? Yeah, okay, I'm moving. I'm going to go outside next time you'll do all that. So what I, what I wanted to confess with you, really to do that, I've got to take you back to where I came from. Because more, most recently, I've gone through a crazy confluence of events that God specifically planned. And it was a lot of mirrors put up right in front of me. And so to go back to my upbringing, which I think all of us kind of need to do just to really appreciate where we've come from, came from a family that I think really had admirable goals and objectives. Morals were very important, character, ethics, a lot of very admirable things. One of them was a strong work ethic. It was very clear that we were to work very hard. One thing I didn't say in the first service is I'm embarrassed to say I said to our kids, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of people out there that are a heck of a lot smarter than you are. You can't do a lot about that, but you can't outwork them. And I, that is not a healthy attitude. Mm. If you don't manage that strong work ethic, it can then lead to this elevating of, of performance and achievement uh, to a place that is not right. And you start to yearn for acknowledgement and for recognition and impressing other people. And that is exactly what the mirror was showing me of who I was as I lived out my life academically, professionally, and personally. What was more painful as I continued to look in that mirror or as God put up that mirror, he walked me through these steps. And the people who helped me walk through those steps are here in this room right now. That that was my spiritual life. That it was all about that same uh, standard operating procedure. So, so one door that God opened for me is that I was going all about checking the boxes of what a Christian is supposed to do. You're supposed to be involved in the church. You're supposed to have your quiet time. You're supposed to be involved in small group. You're supposed to go serve in the community. You're supposed to serve in the church, serve other people, give, whatever, whatever. And as long as I kept checking these boxes, the idea was that I was more okay because I was achieving, which is ridiculous because at the end of the day, as I continued to dive deeper, as God dove me deeper, that's insanity. There's nothing I can do to add to what he's already done. The second thing, the second door that he had me open was one of having a very difficult time of confession, almost hiding. There are certain rooms I was not going to allow him to go with me. And I know that sounds crazy, but if you stop and think about that culture I just shared about, I didn't want to do that subconsciously because that would mean I failed and I couldn't handle that. We all know it makes no sense at all because you can't even have a relationship here on earth with somebody if you are not honest and confessing with them. 
The third door, there were many doors he opened, but I'm going to leave it at three. <laughs> Another door he opened was one that showed me that even though I had said I yearned for a close relationship with him and never really felt it, that one reason is I was only willing to come into his presence if I felt I had moved beyond the point of equilibrium where I was okay enough to be there. Which, of course, again, is back to the same deal, that, that this idea that I can justify and earn my way to be in his presence, not a healthy thing. And what really hit home with me on that one, the true side of it, is that to the extent that I believed that, I was mitigating the power of Calvary mm. and the importance of Calvary. So as I was on this journey and those who were walking along with me, I could see that there was actually another road that you could turn off on. And as I did that, it really started to hit me that all of these ideas, this, the, the one as far as trying to earn and do and check your boxes, that all these fruits, I mean, a lot of them are good things, actually, that, that all these fruits and achievements are not what bring us into his presence they are because we are in his presence and because we are in relationship with him. So I really started to meditate on that, or he, he put it in front of me. And one, one story, a very famous story you all know, the prodigal son really spent some time on that, not so much from the father and brother standpoint, but the lost son. But it was from a different angle. What really hit home with me was two things. First of all, it wasn't what that son did that allowed him to be back in relationship with his father or to be loved, it was in spite of what he did. And the second thing is that that son only did one thing when he came back, when he realized how foolish he was to pull himself out of relationship. He said, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven, and I no longer deserve to be your son. And the father gave him a big hug and threw a big old banquet. I really struggle with that. It can't be that I can do nothing and my father will love me. One day I was driving to the office, and the, these words hit me. I wrote them down as soon as I got to the office. Mike has counseled me on this, write things down. So I did. So what I heard loud, as loud as my voice right now, I am loved even though I am not worthy of being respected. I am loved even though I am not worthy of being appreciated. I am loved even though I'm not worthy of being forgiven. And I am loved even though I am not worthy of being loved. It's been the most incredible freeing thing. Amen. Amen. I am good with him right now. Thanks, Mike. Amen. You can see why I wanted Scott to share. I've had the privilege of talking with Scott on the phone and just journeying with him lately. And this is a new thing for him. This has just been in the last months. And he's been in church all his life. Maybe you've been in church all your life, or maybe you've just come to church. But this is what God wants for us, what Scott's talking about. And again, we live in a culture that makes us so hard because it's deeply ingrained in us. It's part, of the, it's part of the air we breathe when we walk out these doors. 
that we have to prove it, we have to earn it, we have to be good enough in order to feel good about ourselves. We can say the words, but we're not actually experiencing the truth deep in our soul that causes us to shape the way we live. So we live based on what's true. I am eternally and unconditionally loved by God. You are the beloved child of God. Nothing will ever change that. We need to embrace that and rest in the Father's love. Whatever our human reality is, let God meet us there. That's what contemplative prayer is. Stopping, resting, listening to what's true, and then living by the power of the Spirit out of that truth. That's it. That's my invitation to you. That you would realize this is the way to the peace, power, and presence of God. Almighty God. Jesus made it very clear. So may you, hopefully in a new way, leave here with a real conviction that, wow, I've got some adjustments I need to make in order to actually experience God the way God wants me to experience God. The last thing I want to say before we sing, are we going to sing next? There's nothing wrong with doing for God. But before we do anything for God, we have to be, just simply be with God. We have to stop, take time and space, order our lives, have rhythms that allow for that. And then out of being, connecting, abiding in the source, the life source, Everything flows from there. So may God help you live this out individually and as a church. As you do, I'm just so excited for what's ahead for all of you in the days to come as you do this together. Let's pray. Loving and almighty God, thank you so much for what you make possible. As we sang earlier, you are a good, good Father. It's what we're going to celebrate in communion Lord Jesus, when you, the Son, came and you expressed the reality of your love for us by dying on the cross for us, even though, as Scott said again, we have done nothing to to deserve it. In fact, what we deserve is the opposite. We deserve your judgment because we have fallen short, but that's what your word says. We've all fallen short of your glory, your will, your, your destiny, what you created us for. And so, God, you just want us simply to own that, to face that, to not run from that, to not let the shame of that drive us from ourselves, from what's true and from you, but to bring that to you and say, God, this is the truth about me. Thank you that you have died for that. And as I come to the table now today, God, maybe in a way I never have, in a way that I've never actually given you my will. I've laid down my arrogance, my pride, my self-will, this Believing the lie that I can make it happen. I can have the good life through my own abilities and efforts. God, I just, I just want to lay that at your feet at the foot of the cross right now. I give you my life. Or maybe you come in today and you've believed in God, but you realize you're not well connected to him. Because you're caught up in the busyness. And your life is too full. And you know, you've not made time and space. And that needs to change. You just need to confess that God help me. Help me to know what matters most and order my life based on that. God, help me with that today. 
Lord, thank you that however we come today, you receive us, you hear us, and you say to us, my child, I love you, I forgive you, and I will help you have the life that only I can give you. Thank you, God, for what you make possible in Jesus. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.